0: Okay, good morning. We're continuing in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 13. Um, Unfortunately, I wasn't here last week, but I suspect that I'm going to repeat some of the things that that Bruce will have said last week, but that's no bad thing. Um, But Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 13 says this, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. If you have kind of kept in touch with Ephesians, you know that it's a book that was written by Paul. It was written when he was in prison, round about AD 60 to 62, and he had a real um, passion and affinity with the Ephesian church. In his three uh, missionary journeys, he'd been there twice, Um, and he was really close to this particular church. Um, And in this book, he states that everybody who belongs to Christ is chosen by him before the foundation of the earth and that salvation is a gift of grace for everyone. Um, So that's the kind of overall view of the book. Um, In chapter three and verse two, he says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. So he is referring to what he's written previously some people think that that means he wrote a previous letter um, that has been lost i'm not sure that you need that interpretation because i think that what paul is simply saying is look at what i wrote in chapter one look at what i wrote in chapter two i've already mentioned these things and particularly the the concept of the mystery um very much was referred to back in in chapter two um where he states that salvation is through faith. If we look a bit about what Bruce will have covered uh, last week in chapter 2, and look at verse 11, for example, in in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul makes it very clear that there are very two distinct groups of people. There are the Jews, the circumcised, and there are the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. So there's those two very clear categories. And actually, for the Jews, they were very, very derogatory about anybody that was not circumcised. Um, they really believed, they had this really kind of, and it was never God's intention that they'd have this view, but they had this really kind of arrogant mindset that we were the special chosen ones of God. Now, of course, that's true. But like I've said previously, you can state the truth, but it's the therefore that matters. That matters. We're chosen by God. We were chosen before the foundation of the earth. It's the therefore. What does it make you do? Does it make you arrogant? Does it make you lazy? Or does it inspire you to share your faith and to discover those other people that were chosen by God too? Um, It's the therefore. And it was okay for the Jews to say we are or we were the chosen ones of God. He gave us this land called Israel um, and we were the chosen ones. Therefore, we will be inclusive and make sure that the benefits and the blessings that God has given us, we will open up to everybody. But of course, their wherefore was very different. Their wherefore was. We're the chosen ones of God. We're Israel and nobody's getting in. And nobody is sharing our blessings. Um, and so Paul challenges them. But he tells them about the Gentiles. He says the uncircumcised, in verse 11, are without Christ and they are aliens to Israel. And then he says the uncircumcised were afar off from God but made near by the blood of Christ. And the message that Paul was sharing in in chapter 2 is is a very simple one. It doesn't make any difference whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised in Christ. We're all one and we all enjoy the same blessings. And he states that the, the plan of salvation includes both the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And this was made possible by the blood of Christ. So both groups have the same blessings. If you look at, for example, um, Acts chapter 15, which is commonly called the Council of Jerusalem, that's where um, there's an argument made that God is doing something different and that he is opening up the blessings of Israel to the Gentiles. And the argument is a very simple one that they make. And it's simple this. If God has given a person the Holy Spirit, they are saved. Regardless of what their origins are, regardless of what their roots are, if they have the Holy Spirit, they are saved. Because if you work it back, in order to have the Holy Spirit, you have to be sanctified as a person. You have to be made holy, because the Holy Spirit can't live in a a dirty person. So you have to be sanctified, and in order to be sanctified, you have to be forgiven. So when Paul and Peter and others saw Gentiles with the Holy Spirit, they said, if that person genuinely has the Holy Spirit, they must have been sanctified, and if they have been sanctified, they must have been forgiven. Therefore, they are in Christ. End of matter. It's just as simple as that. They are in Christ. Christ, they have been given Jesus, they are saved, regardless of of who they are. And so the result was, and God is doing a really significant thing here, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but it's stated really clearly in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, about the mystery. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, I'm hoping that we will get an insight into how that would have been received 2,000 years ago in Israel. Because I tell you what, it wasn't well received. Uh, it couldn't be well received, but we'll have a look at that. So this mystery is something that, that God has, had kept to himself but chose to reveal it in Paul. So let's look at what this mystery is. Well in verse 1 Paul tells us that it was this mystery that got him into prison in the first place. It was the proclamation of the mystery that causes him to be in prison in the first place. Um, He was called to witness to the Gentiles and he just got into trouble with the Jewish authorities and if you look at the back Chapters of Acts, you discover that the Jews are absolutely furious with what Paul is teaching, and and they're the ones that ultimately have him arrested and taken off to Jerusalem. In verse 3, we're told that that this revelation of this mystery was given to Paul. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, at, at Saul's conversion, In verse 15 it says but the Lord said to Ananias go this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. It's interesting isn't it, that Paul probably one of the most qualified Jewish people one of the most qualified Pharisees a Pharisee of Pharisees is the one that is called not to speak to his own. Because Paul could have walked into any synagogue in any part of Israel. And it's like, whoa, we've got Paul today. Uh, Let's have a party. We've got the big man. Um, But he wasn't called to go to the synagogues and preach, which is how God works. He was called to speak to people that weren't his own. And to really defend their right to hear the gospel. In verse 5, we we hear that that this mystery was not known to previous generations, but revealed to the Holy Spirit. And in verse 9, it tells us that it was hidden in God. Now, we have to try and unpick this a bit, because what does Paul mean when he says it was unknown? Because actually, that's not strictly true. It was known. If you read the Old Testament, and you read it well, There are numerous foretellings of a Messiah. There are numerous tellings of God's blessing, um, particularly for those who lie lie outside Israel. I mean, not least Abraham was told that his blessings would be numerous and for all people in all the world. But it became clearer, first of all, So if you look, for example, at Simeon, the story of Simeon, who spent all his time in the temple waiting for the Messiah, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 29 to 32, we read this. Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You know, as a choir boy, we used to sing that virtually every week. The Nunc Dimittis, as it was called. Lord, now let us, thou thy servant, depart in peace. For my eyes have seen thy salvation. I know it off by heart. Um, But Simeon was like, I've been in the temple all this time. And I have seen the Messiah, the young baby, but I realise that this message is a message to the Gentiles. But when Paul is saying that this has been hidden, I think that what he's actually saying is that we had, at that time, no concept of the magnitude of the work that God was doing. And no concept of the radical, different nature of what God was doing. Up till this point, God had always worked through Israel. That had always been his workings. And then when Christ died on the cross and opened up the veil of the of the temple, what he was saying categorically is the distinctive work that is just done in Israel stops today. Now that's quite a radical message. That having worked through Israel for the last 2,000 years, that theocracy is coming to an end. And I'm going to do something bigger. I am no longer going to have a land that is physically bounded by borders. I'm going to have a land that is made up of the whole world. Now imagine... Declaring that in a synagogue 2,000 years ago. Imagine saying, listen guys, the privileges that you have enjoyed, the rituals, the routines, constantly going to Jerusalem every week for a sacrifice has come to an end. It does not happen anymore. Really? The privilege that you used to have, that we used to have, as a nation with God's protection. Don't forget God said, I don't want you to have an earthly king. It was you lot that wanted an earthly king. I'm going to be your king. And I'm going to be the king of Israel. But what Paul was saying is, God is not the king of Israel anymore. He's the king of the church. And the church has superseded Israel. Now, Paul can't let go of Israel. So in Romans, he does say, oh, by the way, at the end times, something's going to happen in Israel again. And that probably will happen. But God's dealing is not with that country that has its center called Jerusalem anymore. God's dealing is with the church. And the church is universal. And the church is the whole world. That's what God's dealing is. Now again, I know that some of you, theologically, will find that really difficult. I don't, personally. You know, I was brought up in a kind of church tradition where people were constantly looking at Jerusalem. I know people that have contributed to pay for a prefabricated temple that's in storage, so that if the Messiah should come, they can quickly erect a temple so that he can be in it. Well, believe that if you want. I don't personally, because I believe that God is the God of the church now. He is no longer bounded by a nation that has boundaries called Israel. God is the God of the church. Now imagine saying that 2,000 years ago. Imagine, and it's no wonder Paul got himself into trouble Probably why I'll never go to Jerusalem, because I won't be able to keep my mouth shut and then I'll get arrested. But, but God is doing something different. Now, you try and get your head around it. What would that look like today? Well, I want you to imagine a couple of people. First of all, imagine the most patriotic UK citizen that you can possibly think of. This is the person that thinks that we should have razor wire all around the coast of the United Kingdom. That we should enhance the borders in airports. That every port should have customs. So you can't get into Bridlington Harbour without going through the customs in case anybody's sneaking in. There's customs people on the beach at Caton Bay just to make sure nobody's swimming across. And imagine saying to them, Now under Brexit, we're going to do away with all that. We're not going to have any airport security. We're not going to have any security at ports anymore. Anybody can come in. And if they come in, and as long as they swear allegiance to the Queen, they can have access to the NHS, they can have access to to job opportunities, they can have access to housing. Imagine... What our UK patriot will think of that view. But that's what Paul was declaring to the Jews and the Gentiles. Things are changing, guys. Anybody can get into the kingdom of God, and anybody can have the same benefits. There are no class system in the kingdom of God. We're all one in Christ Jesus, we all enjoy the same benefits. It's not like that in Nepal. Going to Nepal and the caste system's massive. It's great for me. Old white man in Nepal. Oh, the respect I get is fantastic. I get invited to weddings, I don't even know the people getting married. I go to the wedding and I'm the chief prayer. I'm looking quickly to see if I can pronounce the names of the people getting married. I don't have a shirt or a tie or anything. So a couple of days before, I'm rushing around trying to get a shirt and a tie. Sam and I walk into about 10 shirt shops, and Sam says in Nepali, have you got a shirt that will fit my dad? And they laugh. (laughs) Ten times they laugh. So I buy a, I get a tailored shirt. I know I'm getting ripped off. A beautiful hand-tailored shirt. 1,800 rupees, and I know he's ripping me off but I'll pay him the 12 pounds anyway. Um, and I'm, I'm top of the cast in Nepal. I'm white and I'm old. But in the kingdom of God, none of that matters. You can be the youngest, the oldest, the most powerful, the least powerful, all one in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul was proclaiming. I imagine going to America And suggesting to Donald Trump that Mexico becomes the 51st state of America. He'd laugh at that, wouldn't he? And you'd say, you know, what we'll do is we'll get rid of those borders that George Bush already erected. We'll get rid of those um, and we'll make sure that all Mexicans can come to America. They can all enjoy the benefits that we enjoy. That's going to go down really well. But that's what Paul was saying. That in Christ, when you give your heart to Jesus, when you are forgiven, when you are sanctified, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, all the benefits of the kingdom of God are yours, regardless of who you are. That's why I'm not a counsellor, because I'm, I'm one of these people I don't really believe in, it not make any difference what's in your past you might have had a tough past and you might have had a difficult upbringing. Sam was telling me that when he was in America, it's the only sort of gushing thing Sam's ever said to me ever in my life. Um, but when he was in America um, on Father's Day, he sent, me a te- he sent me an email afterwards and said he went to church and in this massive thousand, you know, thousands of people, the pastor said it's Father's Day. If you have difficulty with your father, I've had difficulty with your father, stand up. And Sam said he was staggered at how many people stood up. And what was touching, he said, for the first time ever, I thought, my dad's all right. (laughs) That's as much as he said, but I take that as a compliment, right? I take that as him gushing and pouring out his heart. Um, But he didn't stand up. Um, But for me, what difference does it make? What your past is. You are a new creature in Christ and all the blessings available to everyone is available to you. End of matter. So he was declaring that mystery and saying that we need to understand it's available to all and that Paul had become the servant of this. Now in verse 10, he tells us that one of the significant aspects of unveiling this mystery is that it gives clarity to the purpose of the church. Because what is the church here to do? Well, in the first instance, Paul tells us that we are the demonstration of God's grace to those in the heavenlies. That if you get your head around the fact that as far as the heavenly realm is concerned, made up of angels and other angelic Celestial beings, they are watching earth to see how the church belongs. They are in an audience in heaven. We are the actors. And the way that we are conducting ourselves is an indication to the heavenly realm, the work that God has done. So our lives are lived out in the full audience of the heavenly realm. Now, I don't know if you get that, because I always used to think as a Christian that everything that I knew, everything that I did, God saw. For years, as a young man, I was really uncomfortable about going to the toilet. I'm just thinking, God, will you please not look right now? Not at this moment in time, or other events. Please don't look. But actually, what the Bible says is your life is lived out constantly, not watched by God, but by the whole angelic Beings, every single moment of your life is lived out in front of that audience. It's not like a professional actor who gets ready, who performs and then gets de-ready till tomorrow. You know, your life and our lives are lived out. And what the angels are expecting to see is what happens when God gets hold of a group of people and saves them. So we are the actors. But not only is there that aspect, but there's the aspect that we have been given the job of communicating this wonderful message, this wonderful gospel that God saves. I always think sometimes it's a bit quirky the way things happen because. As as I got up, we we're singing that, that song, I stand amazed in the presence. And you know my view. I I don't agree with that. I don't ever stand amazed. What that God saves sinners. What's amazing about that? There's nothing amazing whatsoever. That's what God does. God saves sinners, and He saved you and I. And He has given that message to us to us the church and if we don't proclaim that message it does not get proclaimed one of the things that I tried to avoid when I was a school leader and a head teacher but you can't avoid it is that kind of mindset where you sort of think you know what if you want to do a job do it yourself Jez I used to have that kind of mindset I'd I'd delegate and I'd be okay about delegating but occasionally i just think you know what Jez just do it yourself because it'll get done right um well, God doesn't have that view God doesn't have that view He doesn't think Do you know what church If you won't communicate the gospel right Leave it to me I'll do it I've got a plan B I'll get the angels The angels are fantastic at messengers At delivering messages They just don't do Well Once Peter delayed But he had a reason for that But generally speaking They don't delay They do the message, you know Mary, difficult message to tell you, but you're have a baby, I know you're not, you know, but they're great at it. But God hasn't got plan B. And the angels are chomping at the bit. They are in heaven saying, God, just give the job of the proclamation of the gospel to us. We are just chomping at the bit. We'll do it. And God's saying, No. Why is he saying no? Well first we've already said The angels are not the actors The angels are the audience Now there are some forms of theatre Where those are mixed up But generally speaking they're different So he's not going to give the audience The job of acting He's given the job of The proclamation to the actors To you and I But secondly he won't Because God's assumption is that because we were delivered and saved, that we would be so excited about that prospect that we would not be able to shut up about it. That's what God was thinking. That we are so excited about the prospect of not going to hell, of going to heaven and knowing Christ on this earth, that we wouldn't be able to keep our mouths shut. But miraculously, we seem to be able to have done that. We seem to be really, really good at it. And we keep it to ourselves. You see, Jesus said, and I think this is the divine assumption, that Jesus said that those who are forgiven much love much. It's a divine assumption. And it's the assumption that heaven makes that would motivate us to share our faith. The only trouble is that there are not many of us who think that we have been forgiven much. Because we do that comparison thing. You know, I got saved when I was 18. At that stage, I would swear a bit. I'd been drunk once, awfully. Um, I could be a bit unkind. I could be a bit deceptive. But in the great scheme of things, you know, I want all that dislikable. In fact, I'm more dislikable now than I was when I was then. <laughs> but, but Jesus saved me. And when he saved me, he has forgiven much. And I might compare myself to some people that have done the most horrendous acts and think that I don't compare to them. We see this is the mistake that we make. We compare Our sinfulness with other people's sinfulness, and we come to the conclusion we're not all that bad. But you see, the Bible teaches that first of all, you were born in sin, and it takes one sin to make Jesus go to the cross. That's all it needs from you. In fact, if you don't ever sin, you'd still need a Saviour because you have a sinful nature. But if you've committed one sin, you have been forgiven much because it costs Jesus to go to the cross for you. One sin. So you don't need to look around and think to yourself, in the great scheme of things, I'm pretty righteous in in comparison to others. You're not at all. And I think that what we need to do as Christians is we need to understand that we have been forgiven much. One sin makes you indebted to the cross and you have been forgiven much. And if the whole world had lived a righteous life other than you, you know that Christ would have gone to the cross for you. He wouldn't have done a kind of calculation and said, well, look, Billions are living righteously. Jesus is living unrighteously. Would I go to the cross just for that? And we know full well that he would have done. You have been forgiven much. Because it's not the number of sins that make you indebted to Christ. It's the fact that you have caused him to go to the cross that makes it you a great sinner you have been forgiven much the assumption is that you'll love much and that you'll talk much and that you'll live much and the challenge for us is how we proclaim that gospel you know we've watched all these muslims arriving to celebrate eid and you will think that in a city like ours that is multicultural we have to be sensitive We don't need to be sensitive. We need to declare that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. End of. Not through Muhammad, not through a prophet, not through a lifestyle, through Christ. That's our proclamation. But this is where we go wrong as a church. Having proclaimed it, we don't love. That's what our problem is. Because when you've proclaimed it, you then need to love. You know, there is no justification for Christian terrorism. It doesn't exist in the Bible. The only thing that exists is the proclamation of the gospel and loving people. That's what Christ has called us to do. And if we're ever going to win Bradford, it's by not messing around with our proclamation saying that we're happy that Jesus is a route to Christ. Like there's lots of roots up Everest or Annapurna or whatever, choose which one you want. Jesus did not come to the earth and die on the cross to be an alternative route. He came because it's the only route, because it's the only solution. You know, that's why Jesus came on the cross. But having proclaimed it, how then are you going to love? We can't hide from the fact that Jesus said what he said. The son of God said that he had come to seek and to save those that were lost. And he was the one laid down his life. That's our message. But, you know, you can say that very quickly. You can leave your position very quickly with people. I'll just tell you this. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by me. I don't want to say anything else. But from this moment on, I am going to demonstrate that for God so loved the world, and I'm going to love you too. And I'm going to find ways of thinking about you, of serving you, of meeting your needs so that you understand that there is a, a link between my words and my lifestyle. And that's what Jesus has called us to do, to live that out for the angels and to live it out for the people that we serve. Amen. Amen. We're going to finish with a song, I think. And then I'll I'll finish in prayer.
1: When people see me, do they see Jesus? Do they see the love of Jesus flowing out of my words, my actions, my reactions, my thoughts, my deeds? My giving, my saving, my every being. Lord, we all fall short and we all get it wrong. But Lord, we just pray that today you will continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can be more and more like Jesus. Lord, we're sorry when we get it wrong but Lord help us to stand on your promises help us to stand on your name and help us to declare who you are you are the one true God Lord let our lives reflect that this day and this week and thank you God that we don't have to do that by ourselves but we can do that with the indwelling of your spirit as you live through us Father thank you Thank you, Father, for who you are. Amen. Prayer team will be here if anybody would like to talk or pray.